Welcome to Automators. I'm David Sparks and joined by my co-host, Rosemary Orchard. And this is The Automators, where we talk about how to automate your technology to do your bidding for you. Hello, Rosemary. How are you? Hi, David. I am doing great. Uh, we've been having some fun. We had fun with focus modes last time. That was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. And so we figured, you know, why not do something different this episode? Let's let's not focus. Oh, always focused. We're always focused. Oh, yeah. yeah. In fact, you yeah. sent me, we'll follow up later. You sent me a, a text message I want to discuss about triggering focus modes based on location. Mm-hmm. But uh, before we do that, I want to introduce our guest today, someone that's been on our list and, and we want to thank for coming on the show. Welcome to The Automators, Dave Hamilton. Hey, thanks for having me. It is a pleasure to be here. So thank you so much for inviting me along. Dave is one of my favorite nerds. Like, uh, do you still have that URL, by the way? Dave the Nerd? Is that still a thing? DaveTheNerd.com. That's, in fact, a fine way to reach me. Absolutely. I yeah, love yeah. that. I yeah. love that. But but Dave has done all sorts of work in related to the Apple ecosystem. You know, um, he makes the very fine podcast. And how, how long have you guys been doing that now? The um, Mac Geek Gab? Mac Geek Gab started, uh, I want to say 17 and a half years ago, but I might be wrong on that. 16 and a half, something like that. I think it's 16 and a half. Yeah, see, everybody talks about how old Mac Power Users is, but we're just babies compared to you. Mm-hmm. You've been doing 16 this. 16 and a half. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. So. Mac Geek Gab, great podcast. You know what it reminds me of? Um, remember that old show on uh, public radio, the two guys that would fix cars? What was that called? You know what I'm talking about? Car talk. Car yeah, talk. kids ask your parents. It was called car talk with click and clack. That's right. Yeah, yeah click yeah, and yeah. clack. I feel like you guys are our car talk of the Mac right there. I, that is not an inaccurate uh, analog. I think that's, that's a, yeah, it, it's it's what we have become in, in in many ways, in fact. So, yeah, it's we answer people's questions. We love it. And and it gives us new content every week. <laughs> yeah, there, there's no end of questions. Yeah, and Apple just keeps doing weird things to allow people to have questions. So there you go. Yeah, and right, the questions are troubleshooting for sure. But also, hey, how do I make my environment, life, whatever, better with the technology that I have available to me? Is it possible to do X? And and that actually feeds right into what we're doing here too. Yeah, it's, you know, exactly. it's not we're not necessarily solving problems that are technical problems we are solving life problems with technology yeah dave's also at the mac observer and just very active in the community and i know for a fact dave that you are always always building automations in fact we had kelly on the show a month or two ago and she was talking about a great uh, keyboard maestro script that you had written and that was like the light bulb moment for me it's like how have we not have dave hamilton on this show yet so we immediately got in contact and you were Willing to come on. So thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. And I noticed because I can see the in-progress agenda show notes document that you aren't yet using the keyboard maestro automation because I saw you actually type out uh, the 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 minute yeah. and second mark. and Yes. So there's there's one small reason why we're not using that, and that's because it splits the file. Um, and uh, I didn't want to dump like right. 800 files on our on our editor um, because Jim is wonderful and we want to make it slightly easier. Oh, no, it doesn't. It doesn't have to split the file. The, doesn't the, um, it? Because Command-T no. splits the file by default. Yeah, but Command-T is only used at the start of the show. Um, and that oh. resets the clock to zero. The because I I don't want to split the file either when I'm doing like mm-hmm. Mac Geek Gab when we get to a new chapter the the shortcut the thing that I use and we can put that link back in the in the show yeah. notes to so that people can see it but it's uh, command option control so those three commands and then the space bar which I can do with one hand I just roll my finger across it 
And that drops a timestamp without doing anything else. So it doesn't split the file. Ah, that's it. Okay, because I I must have misread it when I was first looking at this then. Sure. Um, well, no, you're there, right. Yeah. Like the command option, uh, control command option Z, which I do with two hands. You could do with one, but I, I made it a two-handed thing so that I don't accidentally do it mid-show. Mm -hmm. Although I have done it accidentally mid-show many times. Uh, but uh, because I've intentionally done it accidentally, but that is the one that splits the file and, and start of starts things fresh and all that good stuff. So, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we sorted that out. already nerding out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Having fun. It's funny how, you know, the podcasters all like uh, end up with certain tools and then the automation tricks get passed around. Um, the, uh, for so long, you know, we were all doing Skype call recorder and Skype and, Every other Mac podcast was, you know, had at least a two minute segment where they complained about Skype. Um, now it seems like a lot of people are doing it on Zoom. So now we have the two minute segment where we complain about Zoom. And uh, either way, <laughs> we're all coming up with ways to capture timestamps. That's it. Yeah. You want to capture those timestamps because listeners want to be able to jump around. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Do you put chapters in your show? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. we do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah that's good. That's the way. And, and it's funny because I get emails from people sometimes and they're like, hey, it would be really nice if you would put timestamps in the, the, the chapter or in the um, in the show description so I can just jump to, you know, the, the section I want or I can skip to it. I'm like, I got one better for you. Just click on the chapter, tap on the chapter. Yeah. You don't need you don't need Good to, to do it yourself. We got it covered for you. Right. Though it does require a podcast player to support it. But if it doesn't support uh, chapters, then maybe you're missing out on some other amazing features, too. Uh, to be fair, though, Apple's Apple's player did not support it until it became podcasts, right? Mm -hmm. Like for MP3s, uh, especially on the Mac, right? It was so it wasn't until we split iTunes on the Mac into music podcasts, etc., that we had MP3 support for chapters on the Mac because iTunes only had it for AAC files, but we are nerding out here. D Dave, where do, where do you listen to podcasts? I use Overcast, Marco yeah. Arment's player. Yeah. yeah. That seems to be the one everybody uses. You too, Rose? Well, he went nuts. I yeah. mean, he he created that, that audio playback engine that, uh, you know, auto-normalizes the sound on the fly, it, it, and it does a fantastic job. Uh, yeah, you know. it is really good. The smart, smart speed. And then, of course, um, on top of that, it's got the ability to uh, strip silence, essentially. So if there's a right. long pause of dead air, it's just going to cut that out. So you don't even realize it, um, which is great for some of the shows who, you know, who are just starting out, who haven't figured out quite, you know, how much of what they need to remove yet. It means that I get a really consistent listening experience everywhere. Yeah. So uh, Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It makes the listening experience consistent in, in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And it you become spoiled real fast. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, it's good. Yeah, and, and of course, Dave also, for those who don't know him, is a sound guy. Like, he's a drummer, an amazing drummer. Used to play with the, uh, was it the Macworld All-Star Band? That was That's fun. Right. Yeah, yeah. He used to do that. And, that was uh, fun. And you're also always doing cool stuff with audio. Whenever I need to get a new mic or something, I have to check in and get a get um, a blessing of Mr. Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, yeah, I'm picky about audio. I, I, I And I suppose... At times, that's a good thing. It, it depends on who you are in my life, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> yes, I'm sure some people will go, it doesn't matter that much, does it? But uh, if you enjoy listening to a, a podcast, I've, I've heard can, before. Yeah, it can definitely improve things if you've got good audio. But they say, people don't notice good audio, but they are very aware of bad audio. Dave, how'd you get started in automation? I have been a nerd for a very long time. And when I got my first computer, 
uh, well, I guess my first computer was a uh, Timex Sinclair. Uh, and I, I did some programming on that. I did oh, some man. programming. Oh, man. I, uh, I am so tempted to go down that rabbit hole with you. Did you get the thermal <laughs> printer? Did you get the thermal printer? I did not have the thermal printer. Yeah. No. Yeah. no. Yeah. It was like $200, right? Something like that. No, it was it was exorbitantly expensive at the time. Yeah, 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 especially for our family. And now you can buy like a cheap little Bluetooth receipt printer from AliExpress for like twenty dollars. No, no, the, that's right. The Timex Sinclair was like two hundred dollars, and it had like four K or something. I I wanted one so badly, my parents would not buy it for me. I was sad. Yeah, we we were very fortunate. It was given to us by my godfather, um, my dad's old college roommate, and so that was it was awesome. And and then. You know, I programmed on like Commodore Pets in school and stuff. So now you know how old I am. And then uh, our first not Timex Sinclair computer at home was an Apple IIc. And so, you know, programming, programming back then was one of the primary ways that you would interact with your computer. If you were interested in using your computer, oftentimes it meant teaching it how to do things, right? Mm -hmm. There there were, there were programs. We didn't call them apps, but you know, same thing. There were apps back then that you could buy or, or trade with friends or whatever. There was no downloading. It's not in the beginning. And so to interact with the computer, it was making it do things, which is automation. It, you know, sort of at its, at its core. I mean, some things were more automated than others. And now automation means a very specific thing. But it, you know, it, it is all sort of thinking about what can I, what, what, how do I tell my computer device and now the cloud to do this thing for me that I want done. And, and so that's where that started. And then it, you know, it just evolves. We have these tools with us now in our pockets, on our wrists, et cetera, et cetera. And they can do all of these great things. And, and like the cloud is one of the best things that happened to automation or perhaps Automation is one of the best uses of the cloud or others, but having an always on computer that can do things for you and watch things for you and make things happen for you is spectacular. And in fact, for prepping for this show, I realized just how many automations I have running that I have completely forgotten about because they just run and do their thing and they don't have any problems. And it's amazing. And that, you know, that so I don't know. I don't know if that got way outside the bounds of your no. question, but that's how I got started, and that's where I am now, yeah. I remember Wozniak saying at one point that he thought that the original Apple II, you know, the idea was the that people who bought it would write their programs for it, you know? it, You know, the idea of selling pre, you know, written software really wasn't on his radar. And I remember, no. I, I don't know, did you ever, I mean, were you... I mean, you do have the domain Dave the Nerd, so I'm, I have to assume you played Dungeons and Dragons at some point in your childhood. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah okay. absolutely, yeah. And then played all the played all the Ultima games on on the computer too, and all that stuff. But yes, Dungeons and Dragons was huge. So yeah. you had the little bag of dice, right? You know, you had that that goofy uh-huh. four sided die that never really worked, and like the thirty sided. And uh, for me, when I showed up for Dungeons and Dragons, I had I had written my own dice application. Um, on my Atari 400. So instead of bringing a little bag of dice to Dungeons and Dragons, I would bring a TV and an Atari 400 because in my mind that made so much more sense. Yeah, though no, that's 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 more efficient, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what you two are saying is both of you are incredibly similar to James Thompson. 
Um, except you didn't quite go to the part of embedding like tiny little dragons inside of some of your dice. Yeah. Um, no, yet. I, I would have, uh, man, I would have lost my mind if I had saw James Thompson's dice app when I was a kid. But the, uh, but either way, you're right. I mean, I think computers started out um, encouraging automation, but then we kind of, we do have a, a thing now where a lot of software is written for you and um, a lot of people use computers without considering automation. And that's really the reason we make this show is I want people listening to understand that you do not need to program an app to, to automate. Now things work much simpler and a lot of people can do it. And I love the idea, Dave, of you discovering forgotten automations because they're just working because isn't that the best kind of automation? That's how it should be. That That's exactly it. Yeah, it is. You put in the work and hopefully, I mean, depending on what the automation is, you know, the complexity of it, it might be a lot of work. It might just be a little bit of work, but you put in the work for something to to happen and and then it starts happening and then mm-hmm. you move on to the next thing. That's the point of automation is it just happens. I, one of this is going to sound ridiculous, but I'm, I'll say it because it's true. One of the most profound uses of Smart home technology for me was when I got smart outdoor lights and then was able to automate. We use the Amazon A-Lady. I don't know what you like to say here on that show about her so that you don't trigger everybody's uh, devices. But we use use the Amazon A-Lady as as our smart home sort of foundation, uh, if you will. But you could use, you know, HomeKit and Siri and the Google one and all the the others. Mm -hmm. But the simple little automation of at sundown turn on the outdoor lights and at midnight turn off my outdoor lights right so these are simple automations doable in any of your smart home platforms you could even do it with ift uh that was life-changing for me it's like oh like i never stopped to think about how much mental energy i put in every day into oh remember to turn on the outdoor lights it's dark out now or coming home after it got dark out. And of course your driveway is dark because there's no mm-hmm. outdoor lights on yet. And then remembering at night, oh, hey, did you turn the lights off? Yeah, okay. You know, it's this thing. It's super simple. It like, there are worse problems to have in life than having to worry about when to turn on and off your lights, right? I- I'll yeah. acknowledge that. But it is profound to offload that and never think about it again. Mm-hmm. And that was what sold me on having lights. Yeah, yeah. and the and the advantage is it, it just, to when sunset is. I mean, it allows you to avoid the home alone problem, you know? Exactly. Where the guy in the van sits there and looks at his watch and watches all of the lights turn on automatically at 5 p.m. And yep. uh, with the sunset, you know, whether you're, you run it in summer or winter, it just turns them on when it gets dark. That's it. Turns yeah. them on when it gets dark. Yeah. Or like yeah. simple things like you get home and your lights turn on automatically. So you're never again walking into a dark house or a dark yep. room. Like yep. you, you just know that the lights are on and everything. And that that is, you know, that is something that is, it, it doesn't seem like a lot. But when you realize, you know, when, for example, I went on holiday this year and I came home and the electricity was out. Um, it, been, it had turned off for some reason. I had to empty the contents of my freezer, which was less than pleasant at 10 p.m. Um, but I, I came home and everything was dark. And it's like, oh, gosh, what do I do now? Uh, like, right. you know, it's dark. Uh, I don't usually have this problem. Like, this is not usually a me problem. Um, and it was very, one of those moments where it's like, oh, wow, I really do appreciate the uh, 
like being able to offload that and it just works because you're coming in, your hands are full with bags or you've just, you know, you've just driven in and it's freezing outside or something. You don't want to be, you know, fumbling around, pulling off gloves to turn on lights before you can see anything. Yeah, makes a big difference. Yeah. Now, I say that that's a simple automation and and it is for anyone, any one of us uh, certainly doing the show, anybody listening, the tools are all in place to make that a, a one-step thing. You say, if, you know, time is sunset, then turn on my lights, right? And if time is midnight, then turn off my lights or, you know, however you want to set it for your house. Yeah. Super mm -hmm. simple. But it is fairly complex what's happening behind the scenes to make that happen. It's just we don't have to program it from scratch anymore, right? Because we yeah. have all these tools. And that is really where the power comes in, uh, is, is leveraging these things that are at least somewhat common needs of everyone so that it's just there and you just sort of select and you don't even have to understand what programming is. Although what we're discussing here is I would call this programming. I mean, it's a, it's it a different type of language than, say, programming in basic or C or, you know, any of those others, but it, you, you are programming a system to do a thing that you get to choose how it works. That's programming. Yeah. yeah. Dave, while we're on the subject, where else have you drank from the cup of home automation? I have to imagine you've gone deeper. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I, we, you know, we have ring cameras and various other cameras outside. Um, I, you know, I, because I'm a nerd and I do Mac Geek Gab, I've, I've had, I started getting into home automation well before Apple ever mm -hmm. even began with HomeKit and then certainly ever got to a point where HomeKit was actually feasible for most people to use uh, with the devices that they had. Apple sort of screwed up that entry, but that's fine. Uh, so I have devices that work with all different platforms, most of which are not HomeKit. So mm -hmm. I also run, um, it, it's a flavor of HomeBridge uh, called Hoobs just because it has a simple interface. But what it yeah. does is it it runs on a, a computer in my house. For me, it happens to be a uh, a Synology disk station, but it could be a Mac Mini or a Raspberry Pi. It doesn't really matter. But what Hoobs and or HomeBridge do is link all of my smart home devices into HomeKit so I can see all of my cameras in one app, uh, the Home app, uh, even if they're not HomeKit cameras, and I can control most of my devices from that app, which is just makes it easier for the whole family to do it. So, so that's sort of the the. But like I said, our I don't really have HomeKit doing automations for me simply because we had previously standardized on the Amazon A Lady and mm -hmm. and that that's been fine. It I don't have any reason to switch. You know, I'm I'm yeah. despite being a nerd who lives who's who often lives by, you know, if it ain't broke, fix it till it is with my home kit stuff. I, I do sort of or my home automation stuff. I do sort of follow if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, that is one of those things. So frustrating when you go to turn on a light and the light doesn't turn on and then you spend 45 minutes debugging your motion sensors and everything only to find out somebody flipped the switch. That's it. Yeah, it sucks. But I do things like, you know, like when watching TV in the living room, I have all smart lights in the living room now. And so I can say, you know, a lady dim living room and mm -hmm. it it turns off one light, it dims two others and it sets two others to red because they're between they're in their field of view between us and the TV. And by having them go from yellow to red, they become invisible and yet are still providing light in the room, which is really kind of a nice thing. So, you know, we do that and I have the ability to pause and resume the TV uh, just by telling the a lady to do that. Um, and I also have it announced when it's. When I see when it detects motion in my driveway, um, yeah, with the way our house is set up, 
if we're sitting in the living room, it's clear on the other side of the house in the driveway. And it's just kind of nice to know that, oh, hey, there's, you know, a human in the driveway. It's like, oh, yeah, let's let's go check that out or not. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, we're expecting someone. That's fine. So, yeah, I think yeah. I think that's the extent of my home my smart home stuff. Have you played with Homebridge recently? Because I know Homebridge didn't used to have a pretty user interface, but it actually does now. And it's a lot simpler to use than it previously was with editing the YAML file or the JSON file in the back end for the configuration. I switched from Homebridge to Hoobs because of that. And at the time that I made the switch, Homebridge did then have the new, inter- you know, graphical mm-hmm. interface and all that. But it yeah, it would, regardless of which path I chose, moving to yeah. Homebridge with a GUI or or Hoobs with a GUI, I was going to have to rebuild everything. Oh, and, yeah. And so it was like, well, I've heard more about Hoobs, and so I'm going to take, that's the path I'm going to choose. Um, yeah. It, it seemed to be a little more, quite frankly, a little more idiot-proof. And again, despite the fact that I'm a nerd, it's like, yeah, I'm going to go with the one that that generally accepted to be the one that works and mm-hmm. and hoobs does have like certified hoobs plugins for various devices which i've found like it works for me the, you know and so that i guess is and i get to forget about it most of the time which is the that's key. what you want you don't want that's to be right. managing all these things and micromanaging no. them that's terrible and it's not perfect like if i remove a device from my smart home hoobs will not forget about it ever ever. Mm-hmm. And so that's a little frustrating to have to sort of manage those and put them in like, you know, Siberia rooms to, <laughs> so that they aren't, you know, showing up on things, but it's fine. Like I, I don't, I, they say that the next version of hoops will help address that. I'm sure it will mean wiping the slate clean and starting from scratch again. So I'm in no rush. I, I know how to put things in Siberia. It's fine. I, I do think though with home automation as automators, the challenge we all face is this is one where there's no room for error. Like when you're building a shortcut or a keyboard maestro script, it's for you. And if it breaks, you can fix it and you know what's going on. Whereas with home automation stuff, when you live with other humans, they mm-hmm. don't know about hooves, right? They don't they don't want to know about that stuff. They just want to know that if they push the button, the light goes on. And Um, it's really informed me because my first attempts at this were like using some of the hue light bulbs. And then of course they would turn the switches off and the light bulbs wouldn't work anymore. And, and, or I'd tell them, Oh, to turn the light on, you need to pull your phone out and push a button. And they're like, that's not the way I want to turn a light on, you know? And Mm -hmm. so, um, so I've really kind of over the years got really good about any home automation stuff I bring in, making sure there's like an analog method. Like I'm really a big fan of the, um, the uh, switches, you know, where you put the switches in. I use Mm the, why am I forgetting the name? Lutron Cassetta. Yes. Lutron Cassetta. I use the Lutron Cassetta switches. So they can still hit the switch on the wall and lights go off and on, but I can still control them as well. And, you know, the same thing, we did a front door lock and I got one that has a key in it and they can use the key to unlock the door, but I can use automation to unlock the door. So that, yeah. that's always been. A thing. No, that's that's important. Yeah. I agree with yeah. that. Yeah. And also a fallback when it goes wrong, because let's face it, something's going to go wrong at some point and being able to get up and just press a button, have the light turn on is is a pretty decent alternative. In my house, it's a necessary alternative because mm-hmm. the last thing I want is the phone call that is now the most urgent thing in the world of I can't get the lights to turn on in the living room. Like, that's not okay. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, and it's not the most urgent thing in the world, but it sure is in that moment. 
<laughs> I've got to, uh, I've got glaucoma, so I have to take all these eye drops every night. I spend like 20 minutes with my eyes closed every night before I go to bed. And Daisy was downstairs, and I have a switch in the side table. I have a couple of them that turn the lights off and on in the bedroom, and one that's kind of like the emergency switch that if you turn it, it turns all the lights on downstairs. Like, you know, you wake up in the light, you hear a noise. I press that button. But like an idiot, I also made it so if you long press it, it turns all the lights off downstairs, thinking, well, when I come back upstairs after checking things out, I'll want to turn them off. But I use the same gesture on the other button to turn off the lights in the bedroom when I'm putting these drops in. So long story short, I I pushed the wrong one the other night, and my wife was downstairs wrapping presents, and all I heard was, hey, it's really dark down here. <laughs> okay, so I have a tip for you there, David. Uh, okay. Velcro sticky dots. Velcro sticky dots. Stick them to the side of the drawer. Do not put them in the drawer, but stick them to the side of the drawer. I have um, cupboards next to my bed with like doors that open, and I have stuck buttons on the inside of those doors because this way they're not on a shelf where I can accidentally put something on them and press them or something. I have to like try to press them when I'm yeah. trying to do it. Velcro sticky dots to the rescue. I'm using those flick switches, the FLIC. Mm-hmm. They're great, and they, they do stick to the side. I just push the wrong one like a bozo and put my wife in complete darkness, and uh, that was great. That was great. So That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the problem with this is you can outsmart yourself with yeah. these mm-hmm. things. Yeah, and, and you've got to – you will learn that and then undo it. Yes. That's fine. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. Dave, I know you are always coming up with cool automations, and you were telling me one that solved a little problem that all of us have. In fact, as soon as you told me about this, I immediately set it up for myself. Tell me about your driveway Wi-Fi. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, Wi-Fi often is spotty in the driveway, especially as you get to the edge of the driveway. And when that is most annoying is when I am in my car and it's trying to figure out how to finish setting up the map for wherever I'm going, right? It starts out mm-hmm. on Wi-Fi because it's maybe in the garage, maybe in the garage, I get a good signal. And then by the time I get to the end of the driveway, you know, I, I found myself waiting in the garage until the phone would tell me, okay, I'm good. And then I would leave. And this is ridiculous. I would also have a problem where stopped at traffic lights. My phone would try to connect to the, you know, the Xfinity Wi-Fi when I was an Xfinity customer of whatever business or house was like right next to the traffic light. So I've solved this. I have two automations that I use in the shortcuts app. And one of them is when CarPlay connects, set Wi-Fi off. Yeah, it's a, it's a simple trigger, you know, connect. It's a simple trigger so yeah. when CarPlay connects, but you could do it when you connect to Bluetooth, I think. Bluetooth would require... Uh, confirmation, I think. Correct. That's the, that's, that's the problem with Bluetooth is it requires confirmation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But with CarPlay, because you're, it, uh, and I don't know, I don't have wireless CarPlay in my car, but I rented a car with wireless CarPlay a couple of months ago. And I think this automation worked with CarPlay, regardless of whether it was wired or wireless. But but yeah, the the when of the automation is when CarPlay connects, and the do is set Wi-Fi, turn Wi-Fi off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, the the flip side, the second one is when CarPlay disconnects, set Wi-Fi, turn Wi-Fi on. And it's fantastic because as soon as I plug into CarPlay, my Wi-Fi is off. 
now I am on whatever cellular network I'm on and hopefully it works and you know I have data. Uh, but that way, leaving the driveway, I choose when the transition happens as opposed to the phone trying to outsmart itself and and try to hang on to that Wi-Fi that it really shouldn't be trying to hang on to. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, it's it's one of my favorite ones. It's super simple. And David, your reaction to it is the same as most people that I tell as soon as they hear about it. Like, oh, I, 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 they, it, they completely understand it and they have to go implement it. Yeah, I put it on, because I'm always like setting a destination in the driveway and I'm just close enough to my Wi-Fi to have a bad signal, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. and so, but as soon as you're off the Wi-Fi, then everything work, works great. So I hook it up on mine. Then I told Daisy about it and then she wanted it. So I put a shortcut on her phone too. And, um, and it, it's just a great idea. And, and that's one of the things I love about it is it's just a simple automation. It's two steps, you know, one is a trigger. Am I connecting or disconnecting from, from uh, CarPlay? And the second one is turn Wi-Fi on or turn it off. I mean, it's so easy. Super easy. Yep. The only thing I'll say is if you've got wireless CarPlay, it uses Wi-Fi to connect. Good point. You couldn't do this. Right. I have a CarPlay adapter for my car. Um, so it makes it into wireless CarPlay. And what it does for me automatically is it disables the Wi-Fi when it sorted itself out. But it is using the Wi-Fi um, to do that. So that is something to bear in mind. And right. Of course, it's using Wi-Fi to do wireless CarPlay because it has to. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But uh, I can plug into my, my CarPlay unit. I just... A lot of the time, if I'm going on a really short journey, I really don't want to plug my phone in. Um, like, I'd rather just leave it in my bag. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I got a CarPlay adapter. It's the CarPlay to Air. I'll put a link in the show notes for anybody who's interested. And it works pretty well for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's one of those where you don't realize that, it, of course, it's using Wi-Fi until you realize, of course, it's using Wi-Fi. Right. Um, to do this. Right. Of course it's using Wi-Fi. Yeah. Uh, but right. it's it's like AirPlay, right? It's using a combination of Wi-Fi and Bluetooth to set everything up and know where everything is and so on and so forth. And you know, and then it gets sorted out and it's pretty instant and, and stuff. But it, it disables the Wi-Fi because when when my phone is connected to my car, um, if I swipe down into the control center, obviously while well, the car is parked in safe place, um, then the Wi-Fi logo is actually white, um, just like you would expect it to be, um, if it's disabled. You know, I am. I know that it's inevitable that CarPlay is going to only be Wi-Fi, but I actually really like the cable. Um, you know, it's just kind of a nice ritual. You you plug your phone in, and in my case, I've got one of those little things under your right arm where you can lift it up, like a little cabin mm -hmm. thing with a lid on it, and I, that's where the plug is. So I just drop the phone in there, shut the lid. Then there's no way I'm going to be goofing off with my phone while I'm driving. And the phone gets a nice charge. And, you know, I, I really kind of like the existing system. But, uh, but yeah, I guess at some point. How often does your CarPlay cable flake out on you? Because I, I lose them about once every six months. And so I have to keep a spare cable in the car. Yeah, it's interesting. My, uh, it, it's relative to how much time my wife and kids spend in my car. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're monsters when it comes to cables. They, uh, they have no respect <laughs> for them whatsoever. But yes, I yeah. do keep this an extra This is one, one of the reasons why I got the wireless CarPlay adapter. Um, because um, I wanted to not have to worry about a cable working. Uh, but in my car, I do have a lightning cable. Um, and I also have a MagSafe charger, which is permanently plugged in. Um, and then if I'm going somewhere that is more than like 
a 15 minute drive, I will get my phone out of my bag and mag save it uh, to charge it because um, that is ideal. Um, and it means I'd have to fiddle with like actually plugging things in accurately. Um, and the MagSafe works. My my car theoretically has a wireless charger built in. Um, however, the wireless charger is um, persnickety, one might say, picky, flaky, dodgy. It doesn't like charging my phone for whatever reason. It keeps telling me that there's metal on the charging pad and I have to remove it. And it's like, my iPhone's got MagSafe. I can't take the metal out of the phone. It doesn't work. That's kind of funny, actually. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I, th- I think Renault did not realize that, um, you know, phones contain metal. And their their metal sensor is a little bit too sensitive, and therefore it disables the wireless charging for safety purposes, so it doesn't overheat a piece of metal and set your car on fire. Which you know, I, I see I see the benefit of not setting your car on fire, but also my phone has metal in it, and I would like to charge it. <laughs> You're just making me feel better about my cable, Rose. I like <laughs> my MagSafe charger. I've I've just got a MagSafe charger. I use the MagSafe charger all the time, um, and it means that my phone definitely gets charged easily without me putzing around trying to plug a cable in. And the cable's less likely to be abused as well because it is just a MagSafe puck. You're not like trying to like fiddle with like a tiny little thing to plug it into the bottom of your phone, um, which especially if you're in a bit of a hurry, um, if you're running late or something, just it's quite aggravating trying to get that in right. Like I know it can go in both way rounds, but sometimes sometimes it reminds me of the good old days of USB-A and then you accidentally plug it into an Ethernet port because it fits perfectly. Those are good times. This episode of Automators is brought to you by DevonThink, the flagship product from Devon Technologies. DevonThink is the most professional document and information management application for the Mac. It's the one place for storing all your documents, snippets, or bookmarks and working with them. The integrated AI assists you with filing and searching, while the extensive search language with advanced Boolean search operators makes sure you're never going to lose anything. DevonThink features a flexible sync system that supports many cloud services or lets you synchronize over the local network too, with everything securely encrypted. This gives you the choice for however syncing works best for you. It has smart rules and flexible reminders that let you automate all parts of your workflow and delegate boring repeating tasks. Let DevonThink automatically organize your data with the rules you define. DevonThink's AppleScript dictionary is one of the largest on the Mac. There's no part of DevonThink that can't be automated. Extend DevonThink's functionality with your own commands by adding to it with its scripts menu. Even templates can have scripts inside and you can set up new documents with data from placeholders or inserted by your own AppleScript code. And of course, there's so much more, from an iOS companion app to email archiving, scanning, or even embedded web server for sharing your data securely with your team. For me, the search is the most useful thing in DevonThink. Recently, I was trying to set up something with home automation, and I wanted a floor plan. And I knew I had a floor plan somewhere. And I knew I'd probably saved it in DevonThink. Well, with a couple of minutes searching, I managed to find it instantly. And you know what? It's exactly where I thought it was. And I took a moment to give it a better name. You should use DevonThink if you've got a whole pile of files that you need to keep archived for secure purposes, but you don't necessarily want to spend all of your time managing them. Though, of course, you can if you want to. You can get 10% off DevonThink 3 or upgrade to it right now. Just go to devontechnologies.com slash automators. That's devontechnologies.com slash automators for 10% off. Our thanks to Devon Technologies for their support of this show and all of Freely FM. All right, Dave, um, we've talked about home automation, car automation. Are you doing anything in the cloud? I, well, I'm doing a lot in the cloud. I, I would say that the, the A-Lady stuff that I do is in the cloud uh, yeah, because that, that certainly sense. requires the cloud for that to happen. It's it's not like HomeKit where it's sort of happening locally. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
but I use, I've been using ift IFTTT for a very long time. And there are so many things that I have ift do that I simply forgot about until prepping for this show. That, that was sort of the place where it was like, Ooh, I need to mine that because there's all kinds of things happening. Uh, one of them, it, and this is sort of smart home. You'll, you'll, you'll laugh hopefully when, when, after I explain what it does, uh, our windows are not automatic. They, they, they are not Wi-Fi windows. They, they're, you know, standard old school windows that we have to open and close. Mm-hmm. And I live here in new England and in the spring and fall, and even in the summer, really, uh, it is not uncommon for us to, for example, you know, run heat in the morning and, and AC in the afternoon at times. <laughs> uh, and, and also to have the windows open, perhaps, you know, in the morning, in the summer, and in the evening in the summer, and then, you know, run the AC in the middle of the day. And so I have these IFT routines that check my local temperature. Uh, and I actually, I think they're checking it. Uh, I need to dig into this. Now, I don't think it's just getting the temperature from like weather source. I think it's actually getting it from like a, a NetAtmo device that I have at the house. But mm-hmm. when the temp drops below, a, a, you know, 72, it sends me an email saying, OK, you can open the windows. And when it rises above it, then it sends me an email saying, OK, now you can close the windows so that you're not letting, you know, the heat from outside into the house in the mm-hmm. summer and, you know, kind of keeping it from having to run the AC as, as much as we might otherwise have to do. And I do. I get these little emails and, I, you know, it's like, great. And I could do these with, you can, with IFT, you can do email notifications. You can do push notifications. You can mm-hmm. do lots of different things. I I chose to use emails because I don't know why. It's, you know, it's, it's what I chose when I set it up. And I, I mean, I see these almost every day unless it's, you know, 80 degrees or something. And then I don't get any of these emails because the trigger points are never hit. But, um, you know, I see them almost every day, all, all summer long, and certainly in the fall and the spring, and never think about it, that, that it's, oh, yeah, that's this automation that I set up to do this. It's just like this thing that exists in my life because mm-hmm. it's so reliable and it just yeah. appears in my inbox. And it's like, yeah. and I can choose what to do with that information. A lot of times I just delete it. It's like, yeah, like I'm not going to go through the house and open or close all the windows. It's fine. Yeah. But, you know, but it's, it's heads up man, like I know your head's down and whatever you're doing, but here's this piece of information you thought you wanted. Have you ever considered um, using the the new branching in if this and that and adding maybe some window sensors to that? So it only sends you an email to close the windows if any of the windows are open, for example. I like this. I have not. No, I, I've been an ift user for a long time, as I said, and I have <laughs> not branched out. I, I don't think I've created a new, I don't even think I've edited an existing applet since all of that came to uh, to the to the product and to the platform. Mm-hmm. But that's a great idea, right? Because that way it could be a whole lot smarter about, yeah, yeah, dum-dum. Like the, the windows are actually closed. You want them open as opposed to open the windows. It's like, yeah, yeah, they're open. It's all good. Yeah, I yeah. like that idea. That's good. Because uh, I, know, I know you mentioned earlier that you've got Ring cameras and so on. And I know Ring do have um, a security system um, that you can, that has window and door sensors, which would, which will almost certainly integrate with if this and that, um, yeah. which is pretty good. I'm using Akara sensors and so on personally, but I'm using that um, either with Home Assistant or directly locally. So that's not going to necessarily have if this and it, if this then that integration. But I'm sure, pretty sure that the Ring stuff would. Well, and I've got some. Now that you say this, see, this is the beauty about of talking about these things is you you get the opportunity not only to rethink it but to like have you. 
offer input that I probably never would have thought of. And it's like, I have some Simply Safe sensors throughout the house. And it's like, well, of course they know whether the windows are open or closed. Well, there we go. And there you go. So this is information that is literally at my fingertips. And if I can maintain my composure, I won't go and edit my IFT applets while we are doing this show. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I found with IFT um, that was quite useful, because as you mentioned before, you don't necessarily want to break your own home automations when you're doing this stuff. Um, and so what I used to do with IFT this and that applets is I would duplicate the applet um, before like doing the new one and I just disable the old one. So if there was a problem and things weren't going right, then I could disable the new one and re-enable the old one. So like a versioning system basically for the applets. Um, but uh, that that worked pretty well for me and that might might be worth looking into for you, especially because you've had this working for so long. Like you don't want to break that really great streak of stuff works. See, this is why you get the big bucks. That's a really smart thing to do is because I would just go in and and edit the the live applet and have no recourse if I completely screw things up. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, I mean, at least this one's just sending emails to you. It's not like it's going to like make your living room dark in the middle of the day when Daisy's there. wrapping Christmas presents, um, which might get you in trouble. <laughs> I have no yeah. doubt it would. <laughs> yeah. I should put that on a cloud-based automation. Just do it randomly. That would be so good for our marriage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. It gives you something maybe, to talk about. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, sound sensor. When, when Ashoka uh, barks, then it turns off the lights. Oh, when yeah. she barks again, it turns them back on. Yeah, there, there we go. go. <laughs> that would be, that would be uh, quite, a, quite an automation. But, you know, the nice thing about if this, then that, I think, is its simplicity. It is very easy to get into that. If, if you're listening and you haven't tried it, just go ifttt.com, set up an account, and just try to make a few basic ones. Because even now they've added multiple conditions, which is great, which is what we all wanted. Mm -hmm. But even just like the single condition ones, like I have uh, used if this, then that extensively with my day one. And... Like every time I put a new blog post up at Max Barkey, it grabs the the post from the feed and it creates an entry in day one. So I've got this like running diary of blog posts. And I do the same thing with tweets that I favorite. I don't favorite very many, but they show up in my, I've got like a separate diary for those. And it's really fun to go back years later and see what I was doing that day or what was, what was on my mind. And, uh, and and if this then that is is really excels in my opinion at that simple uh, cloud based automation stuff. Yeah, I'm doing similar things. I have we create a new document for every episode of Mac Geek Gab, and I have it save those show notes documents to Evernote so that I just have an archive of those things. And yeah, uh, I I have another one for when. Any photos that I am tagged in on Facebook, it grabs them and saves them to my drop a folder on my Dropbox so that I just have those photos and, uh, you know. And you never have to open Facebook. Pretty smart. And I never. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't even know if some of these work. Like, I, I mean, I'm looking. I can see that. Oh, yeah. It just, you know, like the history is like, yeah, it ran most recently, you know, three days ago. It's like, oh, yeah, I guess it's still working. Cool. Great. That is the ideal automation though isn't it it's something that you set up and you've completely forgotten about and if it stopped working i'm sure you would hear about it really really quickly from anybody else you know the people who are on facebook looking at these posts and so on and so forth but it really does make your life easier because it's just a thing that you don't have to do and it's a very simple small task yeah you could hand it off to an admin assistant but automation is kind of an admin assistant for everything that's the key yeah exactly yeah no it's great it, it, it's great. Like, you know, like I said, with the lights, the, 
all these things are things I could easily do myself, but hmm. not having to stop and think about it. You know, there, there's there's that whole idea of of spotlighting and focus and shifting your focus to, you know, these recurring mundane things impacts productivity. And, mm-hmm. and I'm a, I'm a freak about productivity, mostly because I'm like super distractible. So I kind of have to be in order to actually, you know, not live in a cardboard box. Um, <laughs> so, so these things really are valuable to me in that way. It's great. And, and honestly, I mean, that this is a bigger topic, but, you know, I call it contextual computing. But the whole idea is that computers aren't necessarily good or bad for you. It depends on how you use them. For a lot of people, they're massive distraction machines, which keep them from doing what they truly want to accomplish in their life. And uh, for others, there are tools that help you along the way. But automation is a is just a great way to help you stay on target and do the stuff that you really want to be doing, rather than having the you know futz around with the internet. And and that's why I make you know that's why we make this show. Yeah. No. Well, and for me. Computers are both of those things simultaneously. Yeah. It is mm-hmm. a distraction and a tool. And automation lets me claw back some of that time that computers allow me to be distracted. So it's good. Yeah, I mean, it's like um, you really have to manage it. You can't just open a computer and expect to get your work done. <laughs> if anything, <laughs> that's only got worse, right? It I mean, used to be that way. Like there was a period of time, like in the beginning For me, anyway, computers were a a playground, right? Like I said, you know, I would would program. Occasionally, I would have apps that other people wrote that I would use, but it was a playground. And, and, but, you know, learning valuable skills that obviously I still employ today. Yeah. And, and then there was a period of time where computers were that, that more of a tool than anything else. And, and now, like you said, especially with social media and like all the, the, the global connectivity, ubiquitous connectivity of these devices that changed them forever into being these potentially super distractible devices, because it's not you, I, you know, even when I was playing with computers as a kid, I was in charge of my own interruptions, right? Like I was choosing every path that I took, whereas now interruptions come in from other people. And, and that's not always a bad thing, but it it does a lot. It's like it's this channel. It used to be a channel where I could escape the world, and now it is my channel to connect with the world. And that that is 180 degrees different from when I started using these things. Yeah, I mean, once they monetized human attention, everything changed. And yet here we are monetizing human attention. You bet. But we're we're sharing information. It's totally different. You yeah, know, I know what we're doing. I'm not making you <laughs> whack a mole. I'm helping you get better at this stuff. No, it's true. Yeah, it doesn't mean it's not valuable. Yeah. Mm. All right. Uh, so cloud stuff you're doing in IFTTT. Um, now let's get back to uh, the Mac. I understand you know a little bit about the Mac with uh, 17 years of Mac Geek Gab. A little bit. Yeah, I've, I've been forced to uh, forced to be a Mac user, but which is not anything anyone would have to force on me. I'm happy to to do it. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what what are the tools you use to do automation on on the Mac? I use Apple Script, I use Automator, but really for me these days, the present and I believe, well, maybe not entire future of automation on the Mac uh, has been Keyboard Maestro. Shortcuts changes that a little bit and which in a good way because it opens it up for a lot more people. But for me, Keyboard Maestro sort of sits at the core 
of what I do on the Mac. It is my default go-to when I need to automate something on my Mac just because it's so flexible and so powerful and it's so well integrated with everything that I would need to do, including Automator and Apple Script and the terminal. And, you know, it's it's yeah. so flexible. Um, I know we started here in the episode talking about my uh, podcast chaptering tool, which is Keyboard Maestro. And Keyboard Maestro macros sync to all of my Macs if I want them to, which I do. Mm-hmm. And you can intelligently turn groups of macros on and off on certain Macs. So if, you know, I never would record a podcast in the office, I can turn those off so that those keystrokes don't start, don't start doing wonky things. Um, I, I There's a lot of different things I do with Keyboard Maestro. Uh, one is I, like many of us, I'm sure, have network drives that I connect to when I'm in my office, either, you know, with my desktop machines all the time or with my laptop when I'm, when I'm here. And so I have a, a keyboard maestro macro that will, well, first I have an automator action that mounts my network drives when it's run as an app, right? Sure. So mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've saved this. It's very, very straightforward. It just goes and, and mounts these uh, drives. It actually, Checks to make sure they are not mounted, and then uh, and then mounts them so that I don't wind up with multiple um, multiple things. But uh, but it's it's you know fairly straightforward. It's just an application. It mounts my network drives. I use Keyboard Maestro to choose when to launch that application. I used to just put it in my login items on my Mac, but that didn't solve a lot of my problems because it was only doing it when I logged in as opposed to intelligently doing it whenever I lost a connection to my network drives. And right. with Keyboard Maestro, it's been fantastic because I, I can have it and, and do have it run that at login. But I also have it check. And, you know, if, if a volume is, one of my network volumes is offline and I am on the Wi-Fi network that is my home Wi-Fi network, then okay, great go and run that script and let's get everything connected. And so it, you know, it's a, it's again, it's one of those simple things that makes a huge difference because when I'm in the middle of trying to go save a file and I want to save it or open it, you know, from a network drive, finding that I'm not connected to it is a major point of distraction. It's like, okay, now I need to go and connect to it and figure out why. And, you know, but otherwise it's just, now it's just there most of the time. It's not flawless. Because networks are not flawless, but it, you know, it, it mitigates a lot of the simple problems that can happen with, you know, just losing. When a Mac goes to sleep, it doesn't always reconnect when it wakes up. So uh, keyboard micro, keyboard maestro is, is my, is my friend there. And there's so many ways to solve that problem with keyboard maestro, you know, like it has yes. commands that you can use, or like in my case, I've, I've recently switched to the new MacBook pro of course, and I don't have a desktop machine anymore. So I'm, I am occasionally disconnecting this computer from the disc array and the the screen and everything to take it somewhere else. And you want to properly eject your discs like a gentleman and um, I wrote like a two line Apple script that does it, you know, it's very simple, but yeah. then I just embed that into keyboard maestro. And now it's a thing I can run as part of any automation. Like I'm ready to go. I don't have to go look for some dumb menu bar app or anything. I just run a keyboard maestro script and the discs eject. And um, I just love that flexibility that it brings. No matter how you want to scratch the itch, there's a way to do it with keyboard maestro. 
Yeah, I think of keyboard maestro. The maestro part of the name is is certainly accurate. I think of it as the conductor of of sort of all of my Mac's automations. Keyboard is is not inaccurate, but it is a limiting uh, descriptor of the app because it does not have to run based on a keyboard shortcut to trigger an action. Actions can be triggered in macros for lots of different circumstances, as we were just talking about. So, did you know you can trigger it with a MIDI signal? So yeah, I do. I when there was a short period of time where we were using uh, Mimo Live to stream our Mac Keycap recordings. Uh, when right when we started with video, it turned out that Mimo yeah. Live was not nearly stable enough to actually do that with. So now we're using some online tools like Melon and stuff. But Mimo Live, because it was running on my Mac, allowed me to do several different things, and I could change scenes by calling a URL endpoint inside of Mimo Live. So if you don't know what a URL endpoint is, it sounds a whole lot more complex than it than it actually is. It's just um, a, a, magic a link. URL. A magic link. Thank you. Perfect. You've used this term before on your show. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah, so it's a magic link, and the app will give it to you. So it gives you the link. And if you launch that magic link in Safari, it will trigger whatever the app's going to do. And so you can have Keyboard Maestro launch that magic link instead. And I had those magic links uh, wired up via Keyboard Maestro. Anytime I hit a certain MIDI key, which was on this mixer I was using, uh, it would then trigger and call the magic link. I moved away from that mixer, so I changed it from MIDI to function keys on my Mac, specifically the seven function keys on the keyboard that are not assigned to anything over on the right side of the, the extended keyboard on the Mac. And uh, and those worked for a while, but now, like I said, we we moved on from Mimo Live, so I'm not using those. I, anymore, I'm so but. pleased you said that because I was thinking of everyone I know. You know who has the right mix of um, a Venn diagram of uh, automation and music to ever use a MIDI trigger? And I thought if there was anybody I know that would do it, it'd be Dave Hamilton. And now you have affirmed that, so thank you. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, I, MIDI triggers are great, and Can and you know, there's go ahead. Can you send a MIDI signal with a digital drum? I don't even know if you can. I guess you would be able to, right? Digital drums are all MIDI. That's how it yeah, works. Yeah, of course. I mean, it, of course it is. So like, so you could hit a cymbal to start off your podcast. That'd be amazing. I could. I could. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't, but I could. But but like for my podcast and and this, you know, as, you, as you're listening to this, take podcast out of it and insert your, you know, work environments here, your workflows here, as it were. You know, I, for when I when I'm getting ready to record a podcast, I need to launch a bunch of apps. I actually use Logic Pro as my mixer now. I have an app separate from Logic called Audio Hijack that I use to record. I know it sounds crazy, but it, like this is it works better this way. I get files easier, and I have you know various other things like our chapters document that I launch and Evernote that we use for different things in the chat room that we use when we live stream and all of these things that have to. To, to launch when I'm getting ready to do the show. And so I use Keyboard Maestro to launch all of those apps and, and put them in the right places on my screen and, and set up my environment so that I can click one button, have it launch all that, and then I'm just ready to go. And I don't have to stop and think about, oh, is that open? Am I going to run into a problem with that? And I know we all have these things for in our in our work and even personal lives where it's like I'm about to do a thing that I do regularly I want all of this stuff open and perhaps I want all of this stuff open, but that stuff closed. Okay, great. Yeah. Close it all out, you know, and, and just get your computer set up. And I, again, it's, you know, can I open and close apps without 
an automation? Of course, I do it all the time. But it makes life a whole lot simpler if I can just sit down and boom, I hit it. Wait, I need patience to let the computer finish doing what it's doing, you know, but mm-hmm. it does it for me and um, it's fantastic. Yeah, and I guarantee you it's faster than you doing it manually and it's one less thing you have to worry about. You don't have to worry once you start recording or doing your work, whatever the work is, is that app open or is that doc available? It just, it's handled every time. I mean, every day it limits the opportunities for human error is yeah, really I, what I feel like setups. So I call these setups, you know, like a setup to write a setup to do client work, a setup to record whatever it is. I mean, that is some of the best automation time you can spend putting those together. And it is so satisfying. Totally. I even think it helps your brain because like you sit down and you push a button whether it be through Keyboard Maestro or a Stream Deck or an F-sharp on your keyboard. And suddenly your computer just transforms itself into a machine to do that thing, that one thing. You know, And we were talking earlier about how they're distraction machines. Well, if it suddenly just gives you only the tools you need to do that one thing, guess what? Your brain is going to be ready to do that one thing. That's it. That, exactly. Yeah. I, um, I have, there, there's one more app I use on the Mac that, that certainly falls into the category of automation and is super valuable and it's free. It's Quitter from Marco Arment, same person who makes Overcast that we were talking about earlier here. Mm -hmm. And it does one thing. Well, it really does two things. It will monitor when you have last used an app, not how long your Mac's awake, not any of that, but how long it's been since you've last used any given app. And then you can tell it to either quit that app or sleep that app. Uh, or not, not sleep that up, hide that up. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do this for a variety of reasons. Uh, my favorite one is Safari because, and really this is true of any web browser. If I leave Safari running for multiple days, it will bloat up and my Mac starts acting all weird. So yep. I know that I want to quit Safari once a day. So I set it after I have not used Safari for 180 minutes to quit Safari it almost never quits in the middle of my day because I'm using Safari for a variety of things. And it's rare that I could go three hours without at least making Safari my active app. But overnight, it quits it and I get to wake up every day and hit my computer and launch Safari and I'm back in business. Um, and I could even have a, as you like, I like your term setup. I could even have a keyboard maestro setup that launches all the apps that have been quit overnight if I wanted to, you know, when I mm-hmm. when I first wake up my computer in the morning. Like there's an automation to be built there. Yeah. But, Quitter is fantastic for these kinds of things. Um, and, and I have it, I, you know, I have a variety of other ones. My wife, we use QuickBooks for the various businesses here and we share the files. And so I don't want to accidentally leave QuickBooks open and then leave. And now she goes to launch QuickBooks because she works for the businesses too. And now we've got the file open in two places. That's bad. Yep. So I have it quit QuickBooks after 30 minutes of inactivity. You know, these sorts of things once you start doing it with Quitter, it it becomes one of those tools that you I can't live without because it's just yeah. like, oh, yeah, it's just taking care of not letting these things stay open that I definitely don't want to stay open. Yeah. And another piece of your setup that I think is interesting is the idea of quitting apps when you're starting a setup. Like, let's say that you're going to go into spreadsheet mode at work. Well, why not close out your word processor? And, you know, get those distractions off your desk. Definitely close yep. Facebook if that's a thing for you, mm-hmm. you know. And um, and Keyboard Maestro just makes that all available to you. Yeah. 
I actually use Bunch for this uh, by Brett Terpstra because it just gives me like a list of the different like setups that I might need um, from my menu bar. And it's great because I've got like podcasting preparation and I've got preparing for automators and nested folders and stuff there. And that opens one series of apps. And I've got a recording section with record automators, which is currently active. Um, and that does things like it It opens Audio Hijack and it even um, presses, I think it's command one. I don't even remember anymore to get you to the session view so that uh, every time I, I launch Audio Hijack, that's what it does. It calls this tiny micro snippet that just does that for me. Um, but it means that I always get exactly what I need uh, when I'm I'm looking to do things and it makes sure to quit certain pesky applications that I might have open um, that I don't want open for that sort of thing. Dave, I, I want to tell you something, Dave. I don't want you to try Bunch until you have at least four hours available because I know you and that is going to be at least a four hour investigation for you because Bunch is amazing. Do, do, okay. Do, is this the point where I say that I have a bunch for editing Bunch? Yeah, there you go. Oh. I mean. Okay. So I have, I have like a bunch which just opens. Uh, let me see what it does. I've, I've, got it uh over here somewhere uh there it is edit bunch files so uh it just opens visual code studio um and it opens the folder where i have my bunch files in visual code studio and then it opens the bunch application docs for me in safari um that's all it does it's really simple but it just gets me the three the few things that i need whenever i'm doing this um because yeah why not are you still too still talking? Because I'm working on this bunch thing that yeah, you told see, me about. I, I knew that was going to happen, Rose. What, what did you do? We lost our guest now. I go find somebody else. I mean, I tried to. I tried to do it earlier with the if stuff. I mean, it's yeah. not that I'm not loving Dave, um, but you know, we're, we know we're going to have to have him back on anyway. Let's just give him more fuel. Okay, so yeah. Dave, I want you to put that in a browser tab, and I want you to come back within 180 minutes. But okay, um, yeah. But, but before go. we leave, give us another cool keyboard master script you're running. You know. I, there are those times when you need to paste something and it, it, and, and there are two scenarios The keyboard maestro solves both of them, but they are, yes. but they are different where you cannot paste like in a, into a browser window or into an application where they have somehow magically disabled your ability to invoke Ugh. the contents of your clipboard. Like it a drives bank me account crazy. number makes me nuts. I, Bingo. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Like, that's the safest thing to do is paste it in. But you want me to type it. Yeah. That's insane. That's yeah. crazy talk. Yeah. The one that, that really gets me address and phone number fields. Like, I don't know how to type my phone number. I have autofill for this. But no, you've disabled autofill and paste. So now and I have to paste. try and remember. All right. Solve our problem, Dave. Solve it for us. I have a, a macro that types the contents of my clipboard. And I invoke it with, you know, it's it's like all the keys. I mash down the shift control option command and hit V because that's paste. And yeah. then it it painstaking. If if you have a long clipboard, sit because this is going to take a little while. It's not fast like a paste is where it just pops it in. It literally types it with some delays and things like that. But, you mm -hmm. know, for something short, like a banking account number or whatever, it goes very fast. But that whole type clipboard thing is great. And then... I also, so that's one thing, and I don't want to gloss over that because it's super yeah. important. But but then I also use Keyboard Maestro to be the thing that pastes without any style. I know some sure. apps offer that in the edit menu, but they are mm -hmm. inconsistent with it. So I have taken over that that shortcut or that that keyboard keystroke, and I use Command Option Shift V. And when I do that, it takes the contents of my clipboard, assuming it's text. And if it's not, it doesn't paste anything. 
but it takes that text and pastes it as an actual paste, not a type, without any styling whatsoever. And so, you know, for when I copy something from Safari and it's inheriting all the, you know, styling of the text on the website and I want to paste it into an email or something where I don't want style, I just do that and then boom, it, you know, it comes in as plain text. I, I, I am someone who values the simplicity of plain text probably more than most, but, um, but that's how I live with it. And that's, again, these are super simple things, but it makes such a difference. I have a question going back to your um, inserting text by typing. You said with some delays and pauses. Um, and I know that Keyboard Maestro just has an option for insert text by typing. And then you could just insert um, the system clipboard. So that'd be percent system clipboard with the S and the C capitalized, no space, yep. percent sign. But you said with delays and pauses, if you added something to that artificially to do that, or is it just how it works? No, it's just how it works. I am I am using the action insert text percent current clipboard percent by typing, and that's mm-hmm. it. But it, it it yeah, it is insert text by typing. It's the keyboard maestro thing, but it's just slow about it. I don't know yeah. why it's slow, but uh, it's slow. So yeah, it's just like so much you can do. Like when you hack paste, you know, that's like a keyboard maestro thing. I have a problem with OmniFocus when I copy a link in OmniFocus. Like I have projects and tasks that I, I link in other applications. I'm a big fan of, of those magic links. So, uh, but the problem with OmniFocus is when it pastes the link, it adds a carriage return to the end. And when I'm like putting the link inside a set of parentheses or something like with Markdown, that creates a problem. And I know they're fixing it. I, I submitted a bug and they said, yeah, we're getting that handled. But in the meantime, and a guy in the OmniFocus forum turned me on to this idea, I put a conditional paste in in a keyboard maestro that says if the link contains the three slashes and the word omnifocus, which is the omnifocus link, mm-hmm. um, then pause 0.1 second and do a backspace. I have a better one for you there, David. All right. Because Omnifoc- uh, Omnifocus, not Omnifocus, Keyboard Maestro has um, an option, and I'm struggling to remember what it's called at this precise moment in time, but it's something to do with, um, like, stri- so there's an option somewhere for formatting or similar, and it can remove blank space from the start and the end of your text, which will do exactly what you want because it will get rid of any spaces at the beginning and the end. I use this all the time um, because it's just, really yeah. useful to get rid of stuff like a, an extra line break at the end or something like that. Um, and uh, so I will find what that action is and put a link to that action in the show notes. Yeah, I, I'm just generally a fan of the idea that you can perform actions on text in the clipboard with the keyboard maestro. I think that that's a, so if you're not aware of that, that gives you a bunch of like, like Swiss army tools that you may, you might find use for. We haven't even touched on that keyboard maestro has a clipboard switcher in it. Uh, if yeah. you are running Keyboard Maestro for other things, I, my advice is use its clipboard switcher. But if you're not, use a clipboard switcher. I, talking about life-changing additions to your Mac, having a clipboard history oh, is, yeah. I, I mean, I can't, I, when I watch people work without it, it, it's like watching somebody try to type with mittens on. It's yeah. like you, you understand that, we have a lot of things to talk about here, you know, it's like, <laughs> but it, yeah, it, it's know. just one of those things, but, but it's, it's like anything. If you haven't used it, you don't know that you're missing it. It's like talking to someone that's using dial up and saying you should get, you know, well, I mean, definitely get broadband. Like, well, everything that I do works with, with my dial up. It's like, right. Because you don't 
have broadband to do the other things that you could do, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. it's 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 one of those scenarios. It's like you got to help people find their killer app for it because once you do, then it's you, you just, it's everywhere. So uh, the just quick uh, live follow up. Uh, the action is the filter action, um, and so what you can do is you could filter system clipboard with trim white space. So that's removing spaces and line breaks and stuff from the start and the end only. It'll leave everything in the middle intact to source, and that means that your clipboard will just be updated to uh, you know the correct thing, and then you can go ahead and actually do the paste. The only problem with that is sometimes I copy text it intentionally has spaces in it no 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 you would still do it the same way that you're doing things with the omnifocus action right now you just replace what you're currently doing with the backspacing to just remove the white space because when omnifocus fix that bug um i know i'm sure omni group will you're going to be accidentally backspacing and removing a character from the end of the url and that is going to break stuff so i would recommend trim white space that's what it's usually called in programming languages so uh, i was able to find it thanks to keyboard maestro's excellent wiki That's awesome. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by Hover. Go to hover.com slash automators and make a name for yourself and get 10% off any domain name. Hover is one of RelayFM's longest running sponsors and my preferred company when purchasing domains. When you have that one big idea, where do you go? Well, your business starts with a domain name. So for many enterprises, Hover is that big leap. Both for Max Sparky and my law practice, I went to Hover when I needed to set up a domain. Hover has over 300 domain name extensions to choose from. No matter what you want to build, there's a domain name waiting for it. And they have excellent technical support to answer any questions you may have. And they're dedicated to getting you online, not upselling you. So many of these domain companies make it a game where they're trying to get you to buy stuff you don't need. Hover doesn't do that. Hover has free who is privacy, so the bad guys don't get your information, a clean user interface, monthly sales on popular top-level domains, and it's easy to see why Hover is the popular choice for people starting a business. When it comes to purchasing domains, I am a whale, and uh, Hover has got all of my business. Max Sparky's there, the legal stuff, also several related domains related to some of the podcasts that we get over the years. So I've got all of that in Hover, and it's just super easy to log in and manage that stuff. If I want to point a domain at a different address, I can do it right in their uh, easy-to-use control panel. I remember when I was working at the law firm and I went on Hover and I bought sparksesq.com and that was really the first step I took towards going out on my own and setting up my own practice and that was all accomplished through Hover. Another thing I did through Hover was when my children were born, I bought their names as domain names and I've handed them off to them as they've got older so they can set up their own online presence and they've got great domains that are their names. We know you like intuitive user experiences and things that just work straight out of the box, and you get that with Hover. So uh, go to their website at Hover.com. The UI is really simple, clean, and easy to navigate, and you can buy your domain and start using it today. Go to Hover.com slash automators, A-U-T-O-M-A-T-O-R-S, and get a 10% discount on all new purchases. That URL, once again, is Hover.com slash automators. Make a name for yourself with Hover. Our thanks to Hover for their support of the automators and all of Relay FM. Dave, so you are an automator pro. You've been doing this a long time. I know you do Apple Script. We've just kind of proven your keyboard maestro chops. Um, I, let's talk about shortcuts, you know, the democratized automation that Apple's been pushing now for a few years. Uh, what do you think about it and where are you using it? 
Oh, I, I love shortcuts. I loved it when it was workflow before Apple picked it up. And I, I mean, I still think the way those guys figured out how to leverage the things that were publicly available in iOS to do the magic that they do is like they deserve all the success and credit that they've had. Oh, yeah, uh, totally. Yeah, yeah. I and I do. I use I use shortcuts for a variety of things. Uh, I, you know, we already talked about uh, my CarPlay thing that uh, that I I use shortcuts for. I have another really simple one. When I travel, I am always more concerned about my phone's battery life than I am when I'm at home. And mm -hmm. to preserve my phone's battery life, I like to just leave my phone in low power mode the entire time I'm traveling. And what I do to ensure that is I set up an automation in, uh, in shortcuts that is a two-step automation. When low power mode is turned off, like when your phone is charging and hits 80%, do set low power mode to on. And that way it, it will turn off for a split second while it's charging and hits that 80% magic number. And then it turns low, low power mode right back on and it stays on 100% of the time while I'm traveling. And then I can just turn off that automation when I get home, if I so choose. Of course, you may be somebody who likes to leave your phone in low power mode all the time, in which case you're welcome. You can use it for that too. You just leave it on. So Yeah. Yeah, that is really useful for travel. Of course, it's not so ideal at home because you'll do things like not have push notifications on mm -hmm. uh, email and anymore and things like that, which are all the uh, bonuses that low power mode can offer, which could be a feature or a bug depending on your point of view. But uh, that is really useful for travel. My kids leave their phones in low power mode 100% of the time, but it's because they're on them all the time and want to eke out every bit of battery life they possibly can. So they, they have this shortcut running and it never turns off whether they're home traveling or, or what. So, and it's been my impression in general that kids think a 20% charge is a full charge. So there's that. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. I really like that idea. Actually, I think I might expand that and add um, something in data jar to say um, I am traveling or I am not traveling something that can be set. Like and then when my phone yeah. turns off um, low power mode, it can check to see whether or not it should turn it back on. And then that flag is something that I can just easily enable and disable. Um, I can even put a shortcut on my travel home screen because I have a travel focus mode now, um, thanks to a recent episode. So, uh, Oh, that's mm. true. You, you, I, I, yeah, I like this. See, this is great. This is what I love talking about. <laughs> yeah, you got to try <laughs> data jar if you Dave. haven't. It's really fun. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, it's a set of global variables that you can uh, you can um, store in data jar. And then yeah. that just makes shortcuts so much more useful because you don't lose your variable data. Right. It's great for things that you want to pull in again and again and again. I use it for API keys, all sorts of things like uh, accounts of how many um, you know vitamins I've got left and so on because I log my vitamins by tapping on an NFC tag. So it just goes ahead and decrements the the right number for me um, every time I do that, which means that I can then get warnings after I've done it to say, hey, you're running out of these things. You should stock up again, um, which is quite handy. I didn't oh, hear yeah, anything okay. you said after vitamins because I thought that was so great the way you said that word. Vitamins. Yeah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> vitamins for the Americans. There you go. <laughs> Are they the same thing? Uh, almost. Um, ours have got a bonus inside of them um, in that they, they just have a British accent. Oh, oh that's that. No, that, that makes them more valuable. Vitamins sure. are classier. That's, let's just leave it at that. What? It's classier. <laughs> I, I, another shortcut that I use in uh, in shortcuts on my phone all the time really kind of ties together a couple of things we've talked about. 
and it is my nap time shortcut. Oh. I am a big, big fan of the power nap. And yes. so, right. But I, I, the, the value in the power nap is not being interrupted for the period of time that I am, have set to nap. Because even if I don't fall asleep. And, and avoiding rim. And you got to avoid rim too. Right. Of course. That's right. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so I have a nap time shortcut that start, that does a couple of things. It, it starts my nap timer, which for me these days is 29 minutes. It used to be 22. I've extended it to 29. I'm still tweaking that, that it might, 29 might be too long. Uh, but that's just for me. You can, you can choose yours. It turns on do not disturb on my phone. Uh, it then gets my, uh, my Wi-Fi network name. And if it, if I am on my home network, uh, it then launches via a magic link, a keyboard maestro workflow on my Mac mm -hmm. that turns off, uh, it mutes my sound and turns off my screen. So if I'm in my office, I tell it nap time, it sets the timer, it sets do not disturb on my thing. And then it turns off the screen on my Mac, it mutes the sound and then the final step is it launches my white noise app that I listen to uh, white noise while I'm napping. And all I have to do is say Siri nap time uh, preceded by the word, hey, and lay down and nap. And it's that it's it's super simple and everything it just works. The only thing it doesn't do, and I suppose I could automate this now that I'm talking about it, is it does not unmute the sound on my Mac. So there will be times where I will join a zoom call 10 minutes after I woke up from a nap. It's like, Oh yeah, right. I can't hear what those the people problem are saying. With that is going to be, I mean, actually, no, it will be a problem because you'll know 29 minutes after you've run, um, the, Correct. uh, the thing. Yeah, no, I was, um, I'm, I'm just having a, a little play with it. Yeah. Cause you'll know 29 minutes after. So you can just use keyboard maestro, um, yeah. have that same macro, just keep running, like have, just keep have running. a pause. And 29 minutes later, unmute and I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have the do not disturb automatically turn off at the end of your nap on your phone? I do not. Um, I, I, I could, but I, I don't. It, that's, okay. that's yet another tweak to make to this thing. So, well, I, I was just, I was just recreating this um, for, so I could put a link in the show notes um, for people. And I've just done that um, uh, in, in the recreated one. So I'll make sure that you get a copy of that. Perfect. So you can steal from it if you like. Yeah. And I, I built this before we had syncable focus modes between our, our various devices. So there's, there's also some, some things that could be done. Although, Muting the sound on my Mac, I, like I, putting it, putting my Mac into do not disturb was not enough because there mm -hmm. are things on the Mac that will run, that will make noise that don't yeah. necessarily honor whatever do not disturb or focus mode my Mac happens to be in. So the, the muting of the, of the, the thing, even the dimming of the screen really was a bonus I threw in. If I didn't have to mute the Mac, I wouldn't have bothered with the magic link to keyboard maestro, but, but yeah, those magic links, not only can keyboard maestro trigger them. But Keyboard Maestro has its own little web server in it so that it can be the recipient of them so that it can then trigger things exactly yeah. like this. So, yeah. yeah, I love my nap time shortcut. I might use it after we record this. So, you know. Why not? Right? I really think that you need to make a second one for the wake-up routine. Yeah, if you created trigger a firm. custom nap time focus, yeah, then you could have an automation trigger when nap time focus ends and that could do even more magic for you. Like it would start playing Buddy Rich drum fills and like, you know, just like celebrate it, man. You just had a nap. Yeah. Yeah. You win. That's right. Oh, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. 
The uh, the last time I tried that that automation, I have now installed the beta, courtesy of Rosemary Orchard. Uh, it's still not working consistently for me when you turn a uh, a focus mode offer on triggering a shortcut. That is a an advertised feature that has not been working very well. Are you getting any um, luck with that, Rose? It seems to be working pretty well for me. Um, I've not had it not play music because uh, the so what what I do when when I connect my phone to CarPlay, um, it waits thirty seconds because CarPlay sometimes will magically resume what I was recently listening to, and sometimes it doesn't. So yeah. it waits thirty seconds, checks if audio is playing. And if it's still connected to the car, because I had a couple of instances recently of I went out to the car to grab something and came back in within that 30 second window and my phone then starts playing music in my pocket. Um, So it checks if the audio output is CarPlay. uh, And then if it is, then it grabs whatever the playlist is that it's supposed to be grabbing right now um, and plays it. Uh, And I have a secondary shortcut for figuring out what playlist I should want based on what week of the year it is for things like Christmas music and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I've got a whole bunch of them set on me triggering podcast mode. Like if I go into if I'm making a podcast, I limit who can interrupt me and all that. And mm-hmm. it's supposed to trigger a shortcut that allows me to choose which show I'm recording, set timers, and do a bunch of other stuff. And that is still not working for me. But I I'll need to yeah. maybe I'll need to take a look at it. Maybe I'm maybe there's some user error involved. There's definitely some finickiness with um, you need to make sure that your phone is unlocked and that you're not in control center if it's going to pop up and ask you to do things, um, yeah. which is a bit tricky. Like I found the best success is with things that can run entirely without your your interaction with it, because if it's without your interaction, then it does just do the thing, which is great. What do you think about those focus modes, Dave? We did we did a show on it, but are, are you using them? I, I am. You know, when iOS 15 was in beta, John asked me on Mac Geek Up, so what about focus modes? Because I was using iOS 15's beta. And I'm like, ah, I don't like, I don't think they're I don't think they're all they're cracked up to be. I I was definitely wrong about that. I love focus modes. In fact, as you were talking about this, I created a podcast focus mode that is does exactly what what you both described, so that it limits the number of people and which people can interrupt me and you know those various things. But I am not yet running Monterey on my podcast machine. This yeah. I have a, a Personas audio interface up here, and all of the things are up to date and would theoretically work with Monterey. But I always I I just wait on on this particular machine. Sure. However, focus mode will be the catalyst to me upgrading to Monterey here much faster than I usually would. Usually, it's about a week before WWDC is when this machine gets the current upgrade and i think it's going to be january so uh so we'll be about six months ahead of schedule in addition to focus mode though i created uh or in additions to podcast mode i created a bunch of different focus modes and i'm finding the one that i'm using more often than not is the one that i call nuclear um it's it's not about the nuclear option uh, good good it's about my nervous. it's about yeah. my yes it's about my nuclear family and it's you know those times where i want to be you know i want my family to be able to to contact me, but, but probably not so much anybody else. And, you know, my, yeah, my daughter was flying to Italy recently and doing a red eye and it was like, okay, like I definitely need sleep tonight. And so I don't want to, you know, leave my phone just not on do not disturb or sleep mode all night. But I, I do want her to be able to interrupt us if, you know, if, if something goes wrong with her connections yeah. or whatever. And so I put it on nuclear mode and it was like, Oh great. I can sleep easy. 
my phone, you know, I even put the the speaker on on my phone so that I would, you know, have a great chance of waking me up. And I felt totally confident going to sleep. And it was like, yeah, no problem. I'll, I My phone will interrupt me, but only for the people that I've chosen. And that's where it really obviously gets valuable. I'm, I'm eager to listen to your uh, focus mode episode. I have not. And so I'm sure there are things I, like I have learned in this episode from you that I am not doing with the tools that I have available. I have no doubt I will learn things from that prior episode or from whatever episode that was in relation to when this one comes out. Yeah. Well, you can also hack the do not disturb the built-in do not disturb. Cause I, that's kind mm-hmm. of my, what my do not disturb is your version of nuclear. I made exceptions Interesting. and do not disturb for the nuclear family as well. I know, yeah. it, you know, when yeah. you're, when you're dad, like you will always take that call, you know, <laughs> you will, you always want it to come through. And usually it's like, I need the car keys and $20, but Sometimes it's not that, and you want to make sure that that time you are available, you know? It's true. Although when I'm podcasting, like right now, two members of my family are out doing a thing that is is important to them, and they are telling the other two members of us about it. And if my phone, my phone was not in Do Not Disturb when we started this, and they started this right about when we started talking about shortcuts, which requires me to have my phone open. And so I happily put Do Not Disturb on, which yes. keeps all people <laughs> from interrupting me. And, and I am okay with that decision. <laughs> yeah. So what I've done with Do Not Disturb, because Do Not Disturb, as well as the uh, the sleep focus mode, I believe you can do this there. So you can say allowed notifications, people none, but you can then say also allow calls from. Um, right. And that by default, um, I set to my family for both sleep and my regular Do Not Disturb. Because honestly, if my mom calls me at two o'clock in the morning, I want to know and be answering the phone, um, yeah. whatever it is. Because either something's weird because she's usually fast asleep by then um and you know she's somehow managing to dial my phone whatever um or something's actually wrong um and so i'd much rather just be available for those situations and so i specifically say allow calls from i don't put the people in the favorites because this means that if they call me it'll come through if they don't call me um then i presume it's not that urgent I've done exactly the same thing. Yeah, calls calls will from my favorites will get through no matter what and then that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I changed the group in some of these cuz favorites um includes friends and and other people sure. in certain cases. Um and so I do just have favorite uh, family as a as a group. Um, that's actually a really smart. Yeah, a smart tweak to that. I might I might spend a little time and and make those two changes. Yeah, that's well, good. I'll say the problem for me is in addition to thinking their phones are charged at 20%, my children also do not believe in making telephone calls. That's uh, against some sort of child religion that they are a part of. So I'm only going to hear from them by text. Even if it's a super emergency. Yeah. Well, but, I yeah. guess they would call me with a super emergency, but it's very Yeah, rare. we've had calls in super emergencies for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Dave, I want to thank you for coming on. We got a lot more to cover, so we're going to have to have you back at some point. In fact, next time you come, you can tell us how you've mastered Bunch because I can totally see you going down that rabbit hole. <laughs> and uh, it's totally our fault. So that's cool. This was, know. yeah, this was, I, this was not something I needed in my life, yeah. except I need it in my life. Yeah, I get it. It's it's incredibly good for the you know like you've had some, like you're 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 starting recording a podcast right. I'm gonna clear the decks. I'm gonna start recording the podcast. It clears the decks. I use Safari to uh, sorry Apple Script to open a new Safari window. So I clear the decks. I hide all the applications that I do want to keep, and then I hide all of the other Safari. Uh, I hide everything, and then uh, tell application Safari to make new document, uh, and mm. then I get a brand new empty Safari window, which has got 
space for all the links and everything that need to be opened and maintained during the show, which is really, really, really useful. So that certainly makes my life easier. As someone who does this stuff in Keyboard Maestro, I'd be really curious to hear what you think about it, like in comparison, because it's it's really another way to do that setup stuff you're doing in Keyboard Maestro. Right. Yeah, no, I, I did take a look at, at it and I see it like from a 10,000 foot view how you're editing this text file that sort of scripts all these things together and, mm-hmm. and ties it all in. And it's like, oh, like, yeah, because there are things in Keyboard Maestro where it, they're either not doable because the, the the path doesn't exist or more likely they're doable, but you have to jump through three different hoops to just get to the one that that you wanted, which is similar, which is sort of how my my chapters and timestamps thing works, like calculating the time uh, it took a little bit of, oh, I see. That's how I have to do it here. OK. And mm-hmm. so, you know, things like and not necessarily that, but but I can see where Bunch with its simplicity allows more flexibility, but takes a little bit more of a learning curve. So. Do, do you do window management with your setups in Keyboard Maestro? Like, you know, put it on the left side or the right side or whatever? You know, I I don't, because I use Stay from Cordless Dog, um, every app that I have has its place on my screen and it doesn't matter what my workflow is. Like, I always know that, you know, Audio Hijack is going to be over there. Mail's going to be over here if it's running. Safari's going to be here, those sorts of things. So I use I use Stay from Cordless Dog to to put things in their place when the, when it launches, whether I launch it manually or keyboard maestro does it as part of its, you know, it's set up. So that, that's how I, I did that. not know about this app. Yes. <laughs> oh too. my gosh. Th- this is perfect for certain. Th- oh my gosh. Thank you, Dave. Uh, I did not know about this app. So I use <laughs> Moom for all of my window management. Um, yeah. just because, um, I can say like, Hey, like, here is a set of windows that I would use for doing, uh, for example, recording automators. I've got a set for that and it puts sure. certain windows in certain places. But there are other applications that I just always want to be in the exact same place all the darn time. And I never want them to not be there. Um, and so I'm going to be grabbing this one. Yeah, no, Stay is, it's key. I, I, I love it. It's simple, single purpose app. And it if it's not running on my Mac, I know it right away. Yeah. Super helpful, especially if you've got multiple screens, because Mac OS isn't always the best at remembering to put something over there. If it yeah. if it's supposed to always live on the secondary screen, a lot of times it just comes back to the middle and it's like, no, 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 nope, over there, please. So, Dave, where do people find you? We, we're going to put links in the show for Mac Geek Gab and Mac Observer. Uh, who are you on Twitter? I'm Dave at Dave Hamilton on Twitter. Um, I am at Hamilton.Dave on Facebook if anybody wants to find me there. Of course, without the at sign, but at the slash and the things before it, you, you'll figure it out. And uh, yeah, yeah, MacGeekGab.com is a, is a good, that will get you to, you know, wherever that resolves to. And that, that's the, the right place. All right. Well, thanks so much for for sharing all this automation stuff. I, I know that you love doing this and uh, I was really eager to hear some of the tricks you've got up your sleeve. And I, I like that there's a good mix here. There's some very complex and some very simple, but you're you're using them for everything. Well, that's the idea is just using it. So yeah, thanks for having me and thanks for having the conversation. I've learned a ton being here. So this has been great. I, I love it. Thanks for having me. All right. We are the uh, Automators Podcast. You can find us over at relay.fm slash automators. Thank you to our sponsors today. That's our friends over at Devon Think and Hover. And we'll see you next time.